Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest, many of which uh, you guys know, uh, Mr. Eddie Sfringo. Eddie, how's it going today? Doing all right, Marcus. Really glad to be with you. Likewise, really glad to have you on, and I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to be here. Uh, I know it's... uh, for those of you that know that I've been keeping up with these last few episodes that I've been releasing, I have been announcing that I'm wrapping things up for this uh, second season, part two of season one, whatever you want to call it, uh, before the summer break. So this is, in fact, the last episode, and uh, I think it's fitting uh, to have you on, Eddie. Uh, it's something that I've been considering for like eight to nine months, uh, but it finally kind of came together, and I think it's, uh, I think especially the topic that we're going to discuss is uh, something that will kind of just linger for a while, uh, give people perspective on what's to come, and kind of address certain things that in situations that uh, young, the young generation is right now. So so thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Um, I've been uh, uh, paying attention uh, and, and watching your different podcasts and so on, and really excited to see uh, what God's doing with you and with this generation. I think it's very, very cool. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, before we get into the episode, I do want to make a couple of announcements. Um, as usual, you can follow us on our Instagram for any and all updates, and that is at the Potter's House. Uh, we're on, we're available on multiple streaming platforms, most notably on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. And if you do have an iPhone, please go to that purple icon, the Apple Podcasts app. Scroll down, tap the star stars, leave a written review because it really helps with the exposure of the show iTunes has a certain algorithm so if you can do that that would be great also you can share it with your friends as well Um, you can go through the different lists of topics that are out there um, and whichever you find appealing whichever you find uh, just appropriate for the current situation that you're in feel free to tap on that share with your friends and uh, you guys can go from there but thank you guys for all of your support as I've said in the past uh Wednesday, May 26th, the release date for this current episode is the last um, episode that I'm releasing for this kind of first year that I had before my summer break. And then um, obviously in the summer, we're going to do something. I can't imagine myself not recording for three months, but we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll, we'll stay in touch. We'll keep it interactive. Uh, but for now, this is it. And uh, you know, I'm excited for the future of the Potter's House, you guys. So uh, stay tuned and thank you for all of that. But um, going into our episode, um, Eddie, for the very few people, the very few listeners out there that probably don't know you, <laughs> um, can you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself uh, just for, for those people out there? Yeah, um, there's there's probably plenty of people that have no <laughs> idea who I am. <laughs> uh, so my name is Eddie Sfringo. Um, I serve in a couple of different capacities. Uh, I'm one of the ministers at Maranatha Romanian Church of God in um in Sacramento, California. I serve underneath the leadership of Pastor Moses Gaude. But the other thing that I do is uh, I also serve as the West Coast Youth Director for Romanian Church of God Churches. And what that means is within the Church of God, there's all of the Romanian territory across America and Canada. And then for the youth ministry, they've kind of split that East and West Coast because it's just too much territory to cover. So somehow they defined West Coast as West of the Mississippi. And uh, so sometimes I'm in Texas on the West Coast. Um, but what, what that ultimately means is uh, I work with, with uh, youth ministries um, all over the West Coast and really all over the states. I find myself traveling about 20, 25 weekends a year. Um, so almost every other weekend uh, for uh, that began, it'll be eight years this November. So it's been, it's been a little bit, been a lot of time on planes, but that's pretty much what I do. 
And um, your involvement with the younger people is kind of, if the, this young generation that I was referring to earlier is kind of the reason why we have this topic today about these about this current younger generation and the future uh, they have uh, in this current world. Um, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. But before we jump into any solutions and conclusions and specific outlooks on that or perspectives, um, I do want to ask you, since you are a young person as well, well let's put that out there, uh, but you, you were able to work with um, with both you know, my current generation as well, and you were able to also collaborate with the older generation, almost that kind of bridge generation between the two. So um, I'm sure you can offer a very uh, just insightful perspective on the differences between the two. And that's what I kind of want to establish uh, before we kind of talk about um, this current generation. What are the the differences between um, our current generation and the previous one, uh, considering the times, considering politics, considering everything, everything within the Romanian American church? Um, what are some distinguishing factors and how does that differ on how we approach our day to day life? Yeah, so there's there's actually quite a bit that's different um, between uh, what I would refer to as like my parents' generation or or the first generation of immigrants that immigrated to the states, and the generation that's younger than me or my age as well, uh, where we kind of identify ourselves as Romanian Americans. Either they came over at a very young age, like I did. I was born near Timisoara, but I came over uh, just shy of three years old, and then you know everybody else who was born here in the states, like my wife was, and. Um, when you start looking and comparing and contrasting uh, the different generations, what I found interesting is oftentimes we refer to our cultures as the American culture and the Romanian culture or the American church and the Romanian church. But as I spent a lot of time also working with um, a couple of Indian ministers and a couple of Russian ministers, and I got to know some Ukrainian ministers and I got to know some, some different people uh, from different immigrant backgrounds. Um, what's really interesting is that it's not really so much an American and a Romanian contrast. It's a Western church and an Eastern church contrast where the Eastern church, which is where, where we would draw from, um, is very similar. What we have in our churches, the struggles that we have with the younger and the older generation or the, the benefits that we have are very similar to the Indian community, the Russian, the Ukrainian, the Korean community, a lot of similarities across the board. So as I look at like our parents' generation, Another thing that's important, I think, to understand is not just the, the fact that they're Eastern, but also that they come from a communist background. And those two things do play a significant role. A lot of the people that we have in the United States that immigrated uh, from Romania immigrated here during communism. So they're typically really um, ambitious people, very, very ambitious people, a, a very much a generation of we're going to pray and we're going to pray until something happens. And we're not 100% sure about, you know, where, where, you know, the end goal might be, but we're going to cry out to the Lord and we're going to see God move in a supernatural way. And they're a generation of prayer. They're a generation that has been grounded in prayer. They're a generation that, that you know, maybe they didn't have all of the resources at the time growing up in communism or immigrating to the States. But they are a generation that figured out how to make something out of nothing and how to push and push and push until they eventually got to breakthrough and got honored to that. And then when I look at the younger generation, something that's different uh, has a lot to do with our worldview. So in, in the Romanian community or in the Eastern church, there's very much a worldview that has three parts to it. There's a spiritual world, there's a physical world, and then there's a world in between. Whereas in the Western church, there's a two-part worldview. There's a spiritual world and a physical world, but that in-between world isn't so much there. So as I look at the younger generation, I'm paying attention to a generation that grew up in the shadow of the Eastern church. It grew up in the community of the Eastern church, but they didn't grow up in Romania. So what ends up happening is 
there's a, a, a big separation in the younger generation between what's happening in the spiritual world and what's happening in the physical. Whereas in the older generation, there's much more connectivity. And so the older generation being a generation uh, of uh, first immigrants being a generation of prayer and the younger generation, especially because of the information age, I see them much more as a generation um, that is really focused around uh, worship that is really focused around um, a little bit more of a consumeristic mentality where we show up to church, we attend, we get fed, and then we leave. And you pick it up in little phrases. Like, for example, as I travel, I ask people um, what determines where they should go to church. And they go, well, you know, you should go to church where you get fed. And that's really a byproduct of a consumerist mentality. Whereas if I ask my parents' generation, where do you go to church? They go, well, I go to church where I meet with the Lord. But more than that, I go to church because I feel like God called me to go to church there. Or God called me to serve in this ministry. So one is revolving around what I consume, whereas the other one is revolving around where God has called me. And there's, there's a lot of differences. I mean, we could really go through hours and hours of conversation on this, but the reality is, is that there is definitely a difference from worldview and there's definitely a difference from, from approach and the way that we would identify our Christianity in our core. So kind of looking back as we, you mentioned the Eastern church and the Western church. And right now there's this kind of negative stigma towards the Western church um, due to the, the rise and the height of liberalism kind of infiltrating um, whatever it may be. Uh, is, is this type of worldview that, that our generation has, um, may it, whether it's the entire Western church or maybe just our, you know, smaller Romanian American community, uh, is this worldview, um, potentially dangerous to have if we're kind of presented in a situation, um, that could be compromising to our faith or, or, uh, what, what's, what, what's exactly, cause obviously the worldview of the Eastern church and then our, where our previous generations came from was based on working hard, having good work ethic, kind of staying low, um, overcoming certain obstacles. That was, that was how they, as you mentioned, how they, how they saw their breakthrough and God was faithful in that situation. But, uh, for us, for this current generation, um, is this worldview where it's a consumerist mindset or, or we're trying to be more inclusive or whatever it may be, is it, could it be potentially dangerous for, for our community? So short answer? Yes, absolutely. So there are fantastic things about the Eastern church that the Western church struggles with. And there are fantastic things about the Western church that the Eastern church struggles with. And um, like, let me give you some examples in the Eastern church, right in our Romanian church. Uh, we, we don't need to create events and organize um, different programs within the church for community building. We're very community oriented. You go to any one of our churches an hour after service ends. And what do you find? everybody's still at church and then they go to a restaurant and then you spend a bunch of time together there. And then you sing, you know, hang around in the parking lot in the restaurant for another hour afterwards. We're very community oriented. Fellowship is not something that we have to sit there as, as ministers and go, how do we get people to hang out with one another? Not a problem, right? Prayer. Prayer is something that anytime we have American ministers visit our Romanian churches, they're very impressed by, by our passion for prayer, um, uh, uh, commitment. So our lives don't, don't revolve around us. And then we have church somewhere inserted in there. Our, our lives revolve around our Christianity oftentimes within the Pentecostal Romanian church within the Eastern church. So what we do, it's yeah, if there's church, we're going, it's non-negotiable. And so those are things that are really great in the, in the Eastern church. Some things that we're not nearly as good at as the Western church is organization. The American church has much better administration, um, clarity and theology. Uh, the American church has much better clarity in their doctrine and in their discussion of doctrine. Um, respect for authority. 
in, in the American church, we, they honor their pastors way more than we honor our pastors. I'm just being transparent. Um, and so those are some things that the American church does really well, but the American church struggles or the Western church struggles in the places where we're strong. So when I look, when I look forward, right, when I look at, at what's, you know, comparing and contrasting these two different generations, what I find interesting is this, is as I spend time with my American friends, they always introduce me as their Romanian friend, Eddie. They know I'm not like them and I know I'm not like them. But every time that I'm in Romania, like I was in Bucharest, um, a year and a half ago, and I'm hanging out with my Romanian friends and they will introduce me as their American friend, Eddie. And so it's funny to me because they're not wrong. I'm not like the Romanians in Romania and I'm not like the Americans in America. We are an entire generation that feels very strongly about what we're not, but we have a hard time figuring out what we are. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I had wondered for a long time is I had wondered if we were just kind of a transition generation, like our parents' legacy was to, you know, stick to their guns and, and hold fast to Christianity and endure the onslaught of communism and oppression and persecution and, you know, be able to, to forge their way forward through that and to come to America. But I'd always wondered what was our legacy. That's not my legacy. I never fought communists. That fell 30 years ago, but it is our heritage. And that's really the, the big thing that I think that we need to look at moving forward. Um, and the big thing that I want, I, I believe we need to understand between the two different sides. Uh, I will never understand, or let me put it to you this way, my parents and your parents, will never understand the American church as well as we do, or the American culture. And our children, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, they will never know the Romanian church as well as our generation does. They'll never know Staruinsa like we knew it. They'll never know uh, altar calls like we knew it. They'll never know um, prayer, you know, in, in, in the way that we knew it. Or, I mean, they can, but they very much aren't going to know the old Romanian church like we know it. My point is that I think that God's purpose for our generation very simply is to be able to marry the strengths of the East and the West and to make a church that is better and better and better every year. The Romanian church is great, but there's always room for improvement. But my concern is that we take the bad from both. That's my concern. My concern is that we become a church that is not theologically clear. Not that we're not theologically sound, but that we're not clear. And we have different streams of theology that influence the church as we move forward. And my concern is that as we move forward, we don't adopt the clarity of theology, but we also don't adopt the passion for prayer. We don't adopt the respect for our elders, but we also don't adopt the, the ambition of our older generation and that we become the opposite direction. So these are, these are kind of my, my thoughts about, about the Western and the Eastern church or the Romanian and the American church. And that's crazy because uh, you would never expect for us to take the worst out of both because um, the Eastern church, as you said, lack of clarity, lack of organization, uh, maybe a more legalistic approach. And then we see that a lot uh, in some of the churches. And then you, for, if we're trying to you know, adapt some of the um, Western characteristics we have, uh, maybe we're trying to be more clear and organized, but then we kind of lose that passion for prayer. So that's, that's really interesting. I never really saw it, saw it like that. And uh, now that you kind of said it, I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, wow, we got to be careful. We have to be kind of Let on our toes. How we get there. One word. Yeah. This is how we could end up in the worst way possible or end up in the best way possible, in my opinion. Unintentionality. Unintentionality. There are a lot of things that we have that we have inherited. Our fellowship, our prayer, we've inherited that from our parents' generation. But if we are unintentional in, in teaching that and in, and, and in creating space for that and in pursuing that, then it'll fade away. If we're unintentional. 
if we're unintentional about gaining greater strengths that we see in the Western church, we'll never gain them. L- let me put it to you this way. If you're unintentional about your finances, what happens, you know, a, a week after your paycheck, you're broke. If you're unintentional about your hygiene, what happens with your teeth and your body odor? If you're unintentional about your prayer life, what happens with your relationship with G? You know what I mean? If we're unintentional, we'll lose the strengths that we've inherited because we weren't the ones that, that were the genesis of that. Our parents were. And we have to be intentional and in making sure that we take our heritage from our parents so that way we can leave a legacy for our children. Now, the question I do have for you, because we're talking about uh, this current generation and how we have a unique perspective on both the older generation and the current generation. Um, what we've seen, I would say, over the last 10 to 15 years is this kind of mass exodus from um, the Eastern styled churches that we've had. There's a exodus towards the um, Americanized Western church. And um, a big reason, obviously, is what you've already said. It's it's consumerist. They want to go somewhere where they can be fed. Um, but from your perspective, uh, from your understanding, is there any other like underlying reason why you would see this is happening? Um, people leaving the old what they grew up with and kind of searching for something new. Is there, besides the the obvious consumerist mindset, is there any other un- underlying reason for this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm really glad that you asked me that. Uh, whenever I travel, usually I'll meet with a senior pastor and I'll ask him, or I'll, whether a youth pastor or a youth leader or uh, whoever, any of the leadership, and I'll ask him a very specific question. I'll ask, what's the name of the big American church where uh, all of the youth go? I don't ask them if there is one. Yeah. I ask them what's because there always is one. And immediately they're able to go, oh, yeah, it's a CCV. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Saddleback. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, whatever the name of the church is. And because there always is one in every one of our churches, in every one of our cities is what I should say. Um, and another big reason about a push factor, here's what typically I've seen. If you do a histogram, which I have done, by the way, I've done histograms of, of uh, churches based on your, um, you know how you have a member list and in the members list, there's um, birthdays that yeah. oftentimes you'll have. If you do a histogram, normally what you're supposed to have in a church is a bell curve, all right? It just grows up to the top and it drops. What you have in most of our Romanian churches, and I've done histograms, is two bell curves. And one's the American generation and one's the Romanian generation and the empty gap in the middle is exactly my age most times. I'm 36 now. And that's that the center of that missing generation that oftentimes is missing in many of our churches. Not all, but often. Um, and I'm just saying facts. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not judging one way or another. It's just the reality that we find ourselves in. And so what will typically happen whenever somebody leaves the Romanian church is they'll grow up in it. They'll have experiences. They'll have good roots. They'll get married. They'll have kids. And when they have kids, uh, oftentimes because of the language barrier, they'll sit there and they'll go, my kid's salvation is more important to me than my heritage, even though I don't want to lose either. But if I have to pick between the two, I need to go somewhere where my kids can understand the gospel. And I've met many families as I travel where they say, yo, you know, I'll, I'll see him and I haven't seen him in a few years. I'm like, hey, you know, how you doing? Oh, you know, we're over here at this American church. And I'm like, great. You know, how do you enjoy the church? And they'll tell me all the great programs and things that they're really enjoying and the impact on their family. But typically there's a pause at the end where I'll ask them, you know, but, but how do you feel there? And they'll go, you know, it's nice, but it's not home. And I've heard that phrase many times all over the nation. It's not home. The problem is, is, is we feel the same way that we feel whenever we're hanging out with our Romanian friends and our American friends. 
this generation isn't finding their identity in the Romanian church. And I'm not, I'm not judging, I'm not pointing fingers or any of that, because all, all I'm making is an argument. I'm saying that they're not finding their, their identity in the Romanian church. And if they were, then they wouldn't be leaving. I mean, that's a reality that we have to address. And so oftentimes I think that, that they're not finding a home because they, they feel like they don't have a voice and they feel like it's not catering to their specific needs. And their needs, you know, aren't oftentimes aren't, you know, terrible needs where it's like, well, you know, I just really wanted a coffee shop or something like that. That's a cheap example. Most times it's people that still go to church and love God and want to serve God, but are having a hard time finding identity for them and their families within the Romanian church. And I think that moving forward, we, we need to, um, we need to help this generation find a home in the Romanian church. You know, Sundays I go to my mom and my dad's and I have lunch like most of us do. And my parents, they have a dining room that's round and they have a big round table in the center of it. And everybody's got their seats as you know, you typically do. My dad has his seat, my sister, my brothers, right? All of their wives, all of our kids. How inappropriate would it be if my children had no room at the table? How inappropriate would it be if my grandfather, the patriarch of our family before he passed away, if there was no seat for him at the table? And that's how I view church. I think that there needs to be a seat for everybody. I think that everybody needs to one, understand that they have calling there and two, that they have purpose and three, that it's a place for them to also spiritually grow and get fed. And using, sorry, using this, uh, this point to kind of transition, um, I do want to ask you because over the next like 10, 15 years, we're going to see a huge change in, in this Romanian American church. And I want to ask for your prediction or, or maybe some insight on what you think will happen because Right now, from what I've seen from most Romanian, I would say uh, more moderate Romanian um, Pentecostal churches, what we have is we have a service that's still led in Romanian. We have maybe we have like English sermons, maybe one per per service, which is great. I think it's it's fa- fantastic that they're kind of recognizing the issue, the language barrier. They're catering and tailoring the the sermons to the English speakers, the younger generation. Um, and then, I mean, you still got, you know, some of your form your musical formations playing and you have your weekly prayer, um, meetings as well, but eventually we're going to get to a point over the next 10, 15 years where we're going to have to have a transition. There's going to be like a, an inflection point where right now we're kind of heading in the direction of change, but we haven't really crossed or pushed through that threshold yet. Um, what is your prediction over the next 10-15 years on how uh, or if uh, our current Romanian churches will transition to a fully American church. Uh, what, what do you say on that? So um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think non-negotiable we're going to transition into English whether we like it or not and in fact um, I haven't met a pastor anywhere in America that believes otherwise. Everybody knows we're transitioning and, and we're, there's going to be a transition. You know what I mean? The Lutheran church was originally all German, but they're all English speaking now. Um, in 2000 and I think six or seven, I think it's 2007. I could be wrong. When Romania joined the EU, immigration from Romania to America dropped steeply. And so there isn't a fresh incoming of Romanians from Romania. And so because of that, all we have is, you know, what we have here. And then we're going to transition. I mean, think about your own church. When's the last time you had a bunch of new families from Romania move to your church? It's a lot thinner than it used to be 15, 20 years ago. And um, so as far as moving forward, as far as moving forward goes, um, everywhere I go, I ask people what, not everywhere, but most places, I ask people, where do you think, or what do you think the biggest problems are facing the Romanian American church of tomorrow? 
And almost always the answer comes back, uh, lack of English, that that's where our biggest struggle is. And I would disagree. I don't think that that's our number one problem. I think that's our number two problem. I think our number one problem is a lack of leaders within the Romanian American generation. We have such a lack of leadership. If our forefathers resign, pass away, the day is going to come when, when they move on and they graduate into, you know, the kingdom, right? Um, who's going to lead our churches? Are, are we going to bring people from Romania? The Romanians from Romania are not like us either. Where's the, where's the generation of people in their 30s and in their 40s that are passionate and have calling for what it is that God is calling them to do and to serve within this community? I think that we are missing a tremendous amount of leaders. I travel all over the country and I try to collect people. I try to build network and relationship so I can get to know these people. And there's not a ton of them. There's really not. And so one of my, one of my greatest concerns, to be perfectly honest, moving forward is not that, um, is not that, you know, we won't have English in our services or something like that. One of my greatest concerns is that we don't have leaders that understand our heritage and, and leaders in my generation that are even present, but I understand our heritage and where it is that God's leading us. See, we're, we're, we are Pentecostals. We are Wesleyan holiness Pentecostals is the majority of the stream that we find ourselves in. And the reality is, is uh, there's a lot of different streams that are influencing the younger generation, especially during the information age. You know, there's this big move for super charismaticism. There's this big move for Calvinism. And it concerns me looking forward because I'm not a fan of either of those movements. And it concerns me moving forward that we're going to lose our roots and lose our heritage. And there's not enough people in my age group that are standing in the gap and saying, you know what? We believe that God has given us a calling for this community and this generation, and we're going to move forward in that way. So as far as what does the Romanian church look like moving forward, it depends. It depends if we're going to be reactive or if we're going to be proactive. If we are reactive, we're going to wait for something to burst and then we're going to fix it. And that's called being in maintenance mode. Or if we're proactive, then we can have some outlook, look forward. And say, you know, we need to be investing in some leaders. We got to take some young people, you know, in their early 20s and that we see promise and potential in and invest in them and send them off to seminary school and let them know that, hey, when you graduate, we want to sponsor your seminary. When you graduate, we want to guarantee you a job for four years minimum, you know, and then after that, then from there, you know, we'll vote and, and you know, do that whole entire process or something like that. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas, but I would love to see more investment in the younger generation. And I've noticed um, if we're if we're looking at the different age groups and kind of your reference to the that double bell curve that we have within our our current Romanian American church population, um, because of I think because of the language barrier, there is a lack of communication and maybe conformity or uniformity amongst the current twenty year old twenty something year old generation with the sixty year olds um, that are currently leading the churches um, in in our community. So I've noticed that. And typically it's, it's people like you were mentioning in, in that mid range age group, um, that would act as the bridge between the two or that, that, that range of, uh, of people in the church would be kind of pouring into the younger generation, investing in them kind of like what you're doing. Um, but as we mentioned and established earlier, that's, that's the group that's, that's, that's lacking the most. That's the group that kind of left with their young families trying to find an identity elsewhere or whatever it may be. Uh, so I've noticed that's like, that's, that's a recurring issue. Um, uh, typically in a lot of churches and I've, and I've talked to a lot of young people and, um, what they're saying, and I've, and I've seen it firsthand as well, is that they don't typically 
have someone who is kind of there for them. Obviously, their their pastors, their ministers are there for them, but it's not it's not quite the same. When 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 I was asked the question like, oh, who was your mentor? Who were you discipled by? And I'm thinking, I'm like, that's a very good question <laughs> because the people in their age like 30 to 40, 45 aren't very present uh, in, in our churches. And that's 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 like the age where they need to kind of be with you. They're the ones who are the leaders before you, who are teaching you, guiding you. Um, so what would you say if, if there's like a, a young person who didn't have that opportunity to be kind of mentored and guided by, by a person of the kind of half generation before them? What would you say uh, for them to do? What, what actions do they need to take? Um, what, what, what kind of encouragement can you give them? So yeah, a couple of things. Um, number one, uh, a victim mentality is all it's going to do is justify holding yourself down and never moving forward. I understand the struggle of not having a mentor. I get that a hundred percent. My generation didn't didn't have that either. Um, sometimes I talk with with a couple of buddies of mine, and I go, "Hey, who mentored you?" And we just kind of chuckle to ourselves because it was something <laughs> that we always wanted, uh, and you know, it was never present. Um, the reality is, is you end up doing a lot of ministry based out of what you wish you had growing up. And uh, there's different kinds of mentors, you know what I mean? Like uh, there's a mentor like for your soul, like somebody who pastors your soul, somebody who you can talk to and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And most people, that's what they're looking for in a mentor. Then you can also have like a, like a, a, a business mentor or a mentor for, you know, navigating the, the, um, the ministry scape, you know what I mean? <laughs> and all the different, you know, aspects that go into it. You have a music mentor, whatever. But um, as far as a min- mentor for your soul, somebody to walk with you through struggle and through hardship, what I would encourage people to understand is two things. Uh, number one, um, your mentor does not make or break you. Having a great mentor doesn't automatically mean that you're going to do great in life. Who, who had a better mentor than Judas? And he turned out terrible, right? I mean, he had Jesus for, he literally walked with him. Every day they were together. This is Judas's mentor. So your mentor isn't your Jesus, right? Jesus is Jesus. And even if Jesus was your mentor, it's not a guarantee because look at Judas, right? And um, so first, you know, understand that uh, because we can really hold ourselves back from growth um, because we feel like we don't have certain things above us. Uh, and then secondly, uh, I would encourage people to pray for a mentor. I, I do. I still, I, I still do. And um, I would encourage people to pray for that. You know, God knows exactly what you need. He knows, uh, you know, different people in your life. And um, also understand what a mentor is. A mentor isn't somebody who's going to replace the role of Jesus. A mentor isn't somebody who's going to meet with you every single day for a week, you know, or, or, you know, every single day of the week for a year or something like that. It's different from place to place. Like what I encourage mentees to understand, people that I mentor, I encourage them to understand. And I go, look, um, you know your life. You know when you're, you're up and you know when you're down, you know when you're celebrating, you know when you're struggling. So I need you to reach out to me. I can't call you and check in on you every single week. You know what I mean? I can't wear you like a backpack and carry you through life. I need you to reach out. You know, so I make sure that they understand that. And then they reach out to me. Now, if I haven't heard from somebody in about two or three months, I'll probably reach out to them. Or as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit will nudge me and say, hey, you should give that guy a call. And, you know, that'll, that'll happen as well. But people are just people. You know, I mean, you have to understand that, you, you know, we're, we're just people and, and, you know, we're pursuing the Lord in the same capacity, in the same degree. And a lot of your mentors aren't going to have mentors of their own. So as far as, as far as having mentors, don't get stuck in, you know, not having a mentor feeling like you can't do anything. And then secondly, if you do have a mentor, walk with that, but walk with that, you know, in measure, in measure and pray about it and pray that God sends you a mentor. My wife just re, uh, two years ago, um, I was gonna say just recently, it's been two years now. 
uh, uh, got her first mentor, a, a lady who's an amazing lady of God who's mentoring her, and she's so thankful for it. What does that mean for them? They talk every month, every couple of months, and just check up, you know, she checks up on her or Simi that will call her and, you know, they'll have a conversation. What does that mean with some of the people that I mentor? I check in on them every couple of months. Other people weekly because they've got some heavy things going on this week or this month or they're in a hard season. So it changes from place to place. And now this current generation that we're kind of seeing right now that we're talking about, um, kind of going back to the original topic of this of this conversation, the future um, of this of this generation, um, considering the circumstances in the world, considering everything that's kind of piling on top of us, the hardships. Um, I mean, I was told from even from a lot of different sources, even people who are older, that this is one of the most this is the most difficult generation to grow up in. And we're, and, and we're going to have it the hardest when it comes to um, the spiritual side of our walk with Christ. Obviously, there were people in the past who were physically tortured and killed for their faith, and which a lot, a lot of which happened in the in the physical realm. But now we're we're kind of jumping into the spiritual side of that. So I've heard that you know, it's going to be very difficult going forward. But what would you say is the outlook of the current young person in this community in our generation and um, considering all things that we're going to, that we're facing not only now, but that are to come as well. Uh, one, I would agree with that assessment. I think, I think that um, with as far as America has changed in the last 10 years and with the changes that happened in the last 2030 in technology, the amount of access that people have on their cell phones to everything in the world, the amount of information that is constantly fighting to steal away your attention and all of the marketing that's targeting this generation and the lack of relationship that happens because everything's digital now. Uh, you couple that with a generation that has a hard time finding their identity and you couple that with the lack of leaders that we have. That's a really bad recipe. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely concerned. I really, really am because one, I fear the Lord and two, I love this generation. I really do. I have a burden for them. Um, we don't talk about a lot of things in the Romanian church. And I'll be very clear about what I say here. We don't talk about a lot of things. Uh, the number of young people that I've had conversations with that struggle with depression and suicide, the number of young people that struggle with gender dysphoria across this country, that struggle with homosexuality, uh, would surprise most people. And uh, I'm not saying that it's in the hundreds or, you know, God knows what, don't, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But I feel like there's this mentality that it doesn't exist in the Romanian community. And I would strongly disagree with that. And so it's um, moving forward. When you look at the lack of leaders and the lack of training in my age group, it's very, very concerning for me. So I'm praying a lot. And that's why I do things like the lead retreat that we just had that, that you know, me and you uh, got to know each other a lot better at. Um, that's why I do things like that, because I'm working diligently as I feel the Holy Spirit burdening me. Uh, to try to gather together leaders for us to know each other, for us to network, for us to, you know, do projects like this together and be able to continue to grow and to have a relationship with one another. Because I think that there's a generation that is going to need a very different approach than my generation or the previous one. They're going to need a very different approach. The methodology is going to look different, but the principles and the gospel has to stay the same. It has to stay biblically based and it has to flow out of uh, what God has done up until now in the previous generation. You know, the Lord didn't start with the people of Egypt, left Egypt, and then halfway to the wilderness said, you know what, we're going to go to, you know, Tunisia. We're going to go in a completely different direction. There was a plan that he was on. So we have to understand the trajectory that God had our parents' generation on so we can continue in that trajectory. So 
But as you said, you're, you're, you're a lot of people are kind of struggling with certain things. And, um, you know, growing up in this community, in this church, we typically kind of glaze over it. We don't really address it. We think it does, it's not, we think it's non-existent in our church because I don't know, X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be. Um, what would you say, because uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are struggling with many different things, but to the young leaders out there, so to the people who show up to these retreats, to the people who you meet with uh, on a regular basis, or those types of people in our community, how would you kind of instruct them? How would you guide them and advise them to deal with these certain situations if, let, let's say, they're approached by someone in their youth who is struggling with such a thing? How would, would, how would they approach it? Uh, given that they weren't really taught within their community how to deal with these problems, how would you advise them that they approach that certain situation? Yeah, great, great question. Um, fantastic question. So two things really that I want to mention here. One, uh, what would I say to a youth leader in general? And then secondly, about the specific topic. So in general, what I would say to every, every young leader in this generation that maybe is having a hard time finding their, their role or their place or their calling, um, or maybe feels like, you know, they don't have the structure that they wanted or, or the finances in place that they wanted or, or the mentor that they, you know, were hoping to have. Um, what I would encourage them with and what I would tell them, honestly, is uh, when God put the calling on your heart, he wasn't oblivious to your situation. He put the calling on your heart to serve, knowing full well exactly what your situation is. And yet he still called you, knowing full well your situation. Now, God didn't call us to failure. He called us to success. And so obviously, if God's calling us to something, whatever that situation might be, there is not just potential, but plan and purpose and ability for God to be glorified and God's kingdom to grow. And so I would just encourage people that if the Lord called you, anytime you hit a roadblock as, as a youth leader, as a minister, or as a, as a leader in any capacity, anytime you hit a roadblock, just go to he who called you to do it. It's not your problem. It's his. Go back to the Lord. Pray a lot. Learn from our parents' generation. Learn how to pray, how to sit on your knees until they go purple. I mean, you know, pray and cry out to the Lord and God stretches you and then God answers. Now about the specific questions, if a young man comes to you and says, Hey, I'm struggling with homosexual thoughts. All right. Let's say that's, that's the conversation. Or somebody says, Hey, you know what? I I'm having this, this, you know, kind of struggle. What I would encourage people to do, um, in, in, in a young leaders, you know, maybe doesn't have the training, maybe doesn't have the experience, right? Doesn't have the background for it is I would encourage them to spend some time talking to their pastor and to say, Hey, pastor, hypothetically, if I were to come into this situation, and even before you come into that situation, ask if I come into the situation, I know that they're not going to want to talk to me or talk to the committee of the church or anything like that. Could you help me find a, a, a Christian counselor, a therapist, who's Christian, who's Pentecostal, hopefully, right? But who's Christian, right? Who has an evangelical background, at least, um, that I can encourage them to go and to start seeing. Because somebody who's struggling with something that bad is willing to pay money to get help. Somebody who's struggling with something where they're like, I feel like something's broken. They're willing to pay money to say, I'm willing to see a counselor. So you, you have to be able to recommend people uh, who are struggling with problems that are beyond you into the hands of people that are trained specifically for this. Right. And then I would encourage, uh, you know, any young leader to have that conversation with their senior pastors and to work underneath the covering of the church and to be able to find, you know, a, a, a counselor or a minister, you know, that can that can work with them through those specific problems, because those are very, very difficult problems. I make I make no no exaggeration. It's not an easy situation. And oftentimes it's an ongoing lifelong struggle. And so from the perspective of the person who has that particular struggle, who's trying to reach out, um, 
you know, if I'm imagining, you know, a certain situation, I would, I would kind of expect that it would be difficult to approach someone and kind of be vulnerable and open up to, uh, let's say someone in the church, maybe, maybe someone you're not so comfortable with, but they are in a leadership position. Um, what can we as leaders do to be proactive to kind of be available to, to those certain individuals, even if, I mean, regardless if, if the opportunity ever presents itself, what could we as leaders do to take that proactivity, make ourselves available and approachable to those people so that if a certain situation rises up, if they need someone to talk to, um, they can, in a safe and comfortable space, approach you and kind of uh, vent to that certain issue. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's important to just be available and to let people know that you are available and to let them know, Hey, you know, reach out, give me a phone call, you know, and if, if I can meet with you in some certain way or point you in the right direction, you know, that's great. If somebody uh, is struggling with that kind of an issue, um, you know, maybe, maybe they don't feel like they have the, the ability to be able to speak to their, uh, you know, leaders about it, or, you know, maybe they're terrified because of the situation within our, you know, Romanian American church that you might be ostracized or something like that. Those are real things. These are real people. Right. I would encourage them to go, you know, spend a good amount of time in prayer, obviously spend a good amount of time in prayer and then, you know, see where the Lord leads you and go talk to a Christian therapist. Look, there are there are young couples in the church that have serious marriage issues. OK, let's step outside of the, the gender issue. Let's talk about something that, you know, is a little bit more more common that have serious marriage issues that, you know, there, there's there's other people that have not just serious marriage. They have serious psychological issues. You know what I mean? As lay ministers and as counselors uh, or lay counselors, you know, we're not always equipped to be able to handle every single situation. I know, I know one young person that struggles, they were um, diagnosed with a, a borderline personality disorder that's passed bipolar. That's, that's a step, you know, further. And they're seeing a Christian therapist about it. And that therapist really helped them, that counselor really helped them be able to walk through, you know, the different chemical imbalances and the different things, you know, that, that happened with that. You know, and so I, I would encourage people, you know, to go and, and spend time in prayer, talk to, you know, your parents, if you feel like you have that ability to, you know, have a conversation um, and then, you know, pursue, pursue help, but don't sit and suffer in silence. I would encourage people to not do that. And I also would encourage people to not go and put everything on blast because a lot of people aren't going to understand and you don't want to get ostracized and you want to have that whole, you know, that fear is a real fear. So it's, it's not an easy road. And I am praying for a lot of people that are going through, you know, similar struggles, but my encouragement would be, you know, for them to, to find, you know, a place where they can get help. And Eddie, as we're, as we're wrapping this episode up, I do want to, I do have like this final, almost open-ended question. Um, we've kind of like touched on it in the various other questions that we, we that we were discussing, but um, considering the direction of this world, considering the, the plummeting morality, considering the ridiculous politics, social justice, um, the glorification of sin, whatever it may be, considering all that, that, you know, is starting now, but it's kind of growing as we, as we progress through the years. Um, what encouragement can you give to this younger generation? Um, obviously it could be the open ended, all, all young generation across the world, or it can be, um, within the confines of our Romanian American community. But what encouragement can you give, um, us to remain strong, to remain faithful, to, to see that you know Christ is at the center of it all, and that there is that light at the end of the tunnel, and that in the end we will finish the race. Uh, what what encouragement can you give us, uh, considering all that? Yeah, I um I would encourage people to understand something very very simple. That over two thousand years ago there was a group of of twelve men that some were scholars and even more than twelve. Some were scholars and some were uneducated, and they came from all different backgrounds. 
and that there was persecution over the last 2000 years, far harder than the persecution that we're experiencing today. And our parents' generation alone, there was much harder persecution. There was the Romans and, and, and the crushing, you know, of, of the uh, Jewish people and uh, persecution against Christians under Nero, right? And we could look through all of history and see that there was a much harder situations. And yet the church endures and the church continues to endure. And the reality is, is that even though, you know, we read in James that the world is held in the sway of the wicked one, God is still God. Jesus is still Jesus. The Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they still sit on the throne. They're still in charge. They're still the ones who rule over everything. And in spite of what may happen, in spite of what may come, the encouragement that I would give people is to have a solid personal relationship with Jesus. To not have, you know, a, a relationship that's based through the institution, to not have a relationship that's that's based through relationships with other people, but to have a personal walk with the Lord. And wherever you go to church, and if we're not allowed to have church anymore because of the next pandemic or whatever the next thing is, uh, you know, wherever we find ourselves, if you have Jesus literally in your heart, if you have Jesus and you're walking with him daily, then every day it's part of that relationship and every day it unpacks. So, you know, whatever comes, I'm not worried about it. Jesus is still in control. And uh, if persecution rises again, then it'll rise and the church will continue right along like it has done for the last 2000 years. Amen to that. Amen to that. I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we have that positive outlook going forward. And I'm I'm glad that I had the opportunity to have you on this episode, Eddie. I'm, I'm really appreciative. And uh, thanks for agreeing to be on. And thanks for providing your uh, very backed and um, insightful insight, if I can say. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. It's been great getting to know you, Marcus, and uh, looking forward to um, your channel growing and and uh, you know your next episodes. Yeah, praise God, praise God. Thank you very much. And if people want to reach out to you or or if they want to find you on the internet, maybe social media or whatever it may be, uh, where can they do that? Uh, on Instagram, I'm Eddie from Sac because I live in Sacramento. So E D D I E F R O M S A C Eddie from Sac. Um, and then uh, on uh, on Facebook, you can just find me under under my name, Eddie Sringel. Perfect. Thank you again, Eddie, for, for being on. And thank you guys, um, all the listeners out there, for just continuing to support for these last now 40 episodes, uh, this whole calendar year that we've been here. Um, again, just Instagram, at the Potter's House, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave a review, uh, rate the show as well. And um, this is this is me signing off uh, for this, like I said, ca- uh, first calendar year, this first kind of full season. And I will be taking a break in the summer, uh, but I will be interactive through the social media. And, and I'll see if I can uh, release maybe an occasional episode or two because I can't imagine myself not doing it for three months. But thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. Uh, may God bless you guys, and uh, I would say see you next time. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but uh, whenever it is, uh, I will I will do that. So God bless you guys, and take care.